We're talking today with Casey Phillips, who is the Director of Evangelization at Christ the King Cathedral in Lexington, Kentucky. Casey, it's great to have you on the show today. Well, thank you very much, TL. I'm excited to be here. So last week we were talking about evangelization in, in a broader context than maybe a lot of us think of in terms of what do we picture the church of, of God to look like? Because very often th- that's who we go and evangelize, right? We, mm-hmm. we tend to evangelize the people who kind of already look like the people who are in the pews, and but the kingdom of God is quite a bit more diverse than that. The other thing that we see is oftentimes we think of evangelization as the job of uh, the parish staff. Of course, Scripture gives us a very different picture. It gives us the picture of we as disciples, each of us has this call to be missionaries uh, and and to live out our faith in a way that is evangelistic. And so your role there at Christ the King Cathedral is different than a lot of parishes do. A lot of parishes, including ones that I've worked in, uh, they have the director of faith formation and evangelization. And sometimes we get the we blur the lines between catechesis and evangelization. And of course, they're on a they're on a spectrum, right? They are related to one another. Right. But oftentimes when we put them on that spectrum, when we blur those lines, we think that what's good for the goose is good for the gander, and we ignore the fact that there is a distinction between faith formation and evangelization. So you're in this role uh, in in kind of a forward-thinking way as you have at that parish a director of faith formation who's done it for years, does a great job. You're coming in now specifically to spearhead efforts at evangelization. So we're going to talk about that in a moment, but before we get there, I want to look towards uh, maybe a, a fundamental question. Each of us who are here in the faith were evangelized, uh, both evangelized uh, towards Christianity, and for some of us who are converts from another Christian denomination, uh, we are also evangelized into Catholicism. So. Give me the really short, quick rundown. Who are the primary evangelists who brought you into the faith and then into Catholicism? Yeah, that's a very good question. And it, it goes really well with this topic today, obviously, evangelization. Because I think for you know the Baptist background that I came from, you know, if 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 there was like a key verse for Catholics or a key chunk of the Bible, it'd be John 6, right? The Eucharist, the bread of life discourse, right. you know, that's what we always turn people to. Um, I think for Baptists and many other Protestants, especially evangelicals, it'd be that Great Commission, right? Mm-hmm. That, that sending out, go and baptize, you know. Um, and so there are many pivotal players, I think, along the line. Num- number one of which would be, you know, my parents, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, the, the growing up in that milieu of, 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 of Baptist faith and tradition. Um, as you alluded to, my, my father, as, as we said, he surrendered to the call. He didn't discern his vocation. Right. <laughs> he surrendered to the call. He surrendered to the call of uh, of becoming a, a Baptist preacher, and he was ordained in that. And so I have many fond memories of going with him to, uh, he would do funerals, he would do weddings, he would marry, I mean, the whole the whole thing. And so that was very formative to me, and I think it evangelized me and put in kind of a desire in my heart. I want to do something like that when I, you know, when I when I get older, because I just saw that, you know, the charism that he had and um, the ability to really impact people's lives with, with his words um, and, and to lead people to an encounter with Christ. And I thought that was really impactful. Bleeding over into college, and to give the, the short version of it, you have, uh, I had a couple of, uh, really one specifically, uh, 
a Spanish professor. Um, so I double majored. I did some. I did a religion degree, but also did a, a Spanish degree. And and that Spanish professor was very pivotal because he was a Catholic, also a convert from the Baptist tradition. His parents were um, Baptist missionaries in Peru. Mm-hmm. So he grew up in Peru, a missionary kid, you know, a missionary kid. Um, but upon, I think, maybe coming back to the States or after some discernment, decided, no, he, he wanted, he was going to embrace Catholicism. So his impact, it, I, I don't even know how to describe it. A lot of your listeners are probably, who knows, they're across the spectrum. But um, for a Western Kentucky boy, Catholicism, it's there. Uh, <laughs> but it's uh, there's not very many of them, as we say. They're not very thick on the ground. We'll, we'll put it that way. And so um, to to make it's not that particularly thanks be to God there wasn't a, an, a, a kind of a rabid anti-Catholicism or prejudice in that way. It was just pure and simple ignorance. We don't know what they do. They're doing something over the corner with some smoke and Mary. Like that seems <laughs> suspect. You yeah. knew more than I did, right? <laughs> like what? I don't know, uh, but we'll just let them do the thing. Um, so w- with his authentic witness, um, mm-hmm. just. You know, there were some things that the college had asked the, the the staff to do that he was just like, nope, I'm not doing that. It's it's, it's counter to, to to what I believe. He at least brought it in through just his lived example and his words. Right? It wasn't just he's he was a nice guy. He 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 clung to the, to his faith, and so that example it, it put in my mind. Okay, Catholics have to be, or at least just this guy. Catholics have to be authentic Christians. But I'll just go ahead and put them on like the buffet table, as I like to think about it. All the different shades and varieties. Catholicism is now one. I know enough because I know this guy. I know he's authentic. Boom. Um, and so then it was just a process of of um, grappling with you know that age old question of uh, <laughs> well since the since since the the divisions within Christianity, which is who decides. Yeah. You know who who you know uh, I've I've got many friends. I've got many. Uh, mentors who are using the same scriptures, but coming to different conclusions. Uh, how can that be? You know, if the spirit of the Holy Spirit is supposed to lead us into all truth, he can't be leading us on into, you know, thousands of different truths. There can only be one truth. And so grappling with that, moving back to the big city of Lexington, Kentucky, and having to make a decision about where are we going to, where are we going to go? You know, um, and trying out a non-denominational church, not 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 feeling quite like that was it. It's kind of like that unscratched itch. There was just something missing. Um, and then just deciding. I mean, okay, we this this guy that we knew in college, he was Catholic. He was authentically Catholic. Um, let's just you know, at least I at first I kind of initiated. I'm just going to watch some programs and read around. And then from there, it was kind of the a lot of a lot of uh, converts, and you know, will tell you. That once you start to read or really investigate, it's it's only a matter of time unless you really put the brakes on and put some blinders up um, to realizing that the church established by Jesus Christ it, it was Catholic. It is Catholic, and um, so yeah, a lot of different you know getting into RCIA and all that good stuff. There was definitely pivotal players there who were very much the style of walking alongside, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember, and a lot of converts will tell you, a lot of people who have had conversions, reconversions, whatever, that as soon as it happens, as soon as you know you've 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 had that ex- reencounter encounter with Christ, I mean, you just your hair's on fire, like you just you can't be put out, and almost to an obnoxious degree. You know, almost. people are like, "Come on, buddy, like you just got to calm down." <laughs> exactly. 
Like, and I just remember at the time thinking, oh, this is so good. And I'm what I'm, I'm supposed to be doing, what I'm supposed to be doing, but it's kind of knocking some people over in the, you know, in my uh, zeal. And um, I haven't, but have, so having those people to kind of walk alongside me, um, you know, I, I can think back and say, you know, if there had been folks who in their desire for me to become Catholic had been more like that, you know, just kind of like you need a, da, 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 I don't think I would have given them a second thought. Like I would thought, who's that crazy person? I, I don't want to. Um, but really that accompaniment piece mm-hmm. of here's what the church says. This is what she teaches. And really just letting the Holy Spirit, right, do the work. I think it was foundational in our journey because we um, we never had, well, I think for the most part, we never had anyone that just beat us over the head of the catechism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was always that welcoming or inviting to more. Like, there's more. You want you want more of this? Here, here you go. Here's a, here's an article. Here's a here's a book. Here's an invitation to something we're doing. Come and see, right? Mm-hmm. That old uh, from the gospel. Come and see. And so uh, it's a lot a lot of divots and turns along the way, but um, that's the that's the gist of it. And there are those pivotal players along the way that you look back at the time, you had no idea that this would end up where it ended up. They were being I mean, sneaky. Absolutely no clue. And if you did, yeah, right. They were being sneaky. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, but you had no idea at the time, but uh, the Lord was leading you one to another to another to eventually full communion with the church. Yeah. I'm struck by the difference between evangelization as it's seen by and practiced by so many Catholics and the picture of evangelization that we received, you and I both, in our Protestant mm-hmm. traditions. There there was very much um, a kind of almost a sitcom view of of evangelization, that we've got to get the whole story wrapped up in this little 30 minute episode and wrapped up at the end with the prayer prayed so that all of the, all of the loose ends can be tied up. All the problems can be done. And what I've experienced in Catholicism is what you're talking about, this long-term accompaniment and it's messier, but it also gives a lot more freedom to, I don't have to necessarily know what I'm doing. I just have to know who I'm walking with. Yes. Yes, that's that's exactly right. And I, I can remember many different um, even programs growing up in the Baptist church of this is how you present the gospel. You know, if they say this, say this. If they mm-hmm. don't say this, say that. Um, and all well-intentioned and all with that that goal, right, of seeing people, you know, have a, a life-changing encounter with the Lord and become, you know, as we would say, saved, right? right. Um, but, you know, yes, it, 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 and even an aversion to... I think the you know, uh, you know dialogue between Catholics uh, and, and evangelicals can can often you know we can often talk past one another because if it's a process if it's a, the messiness as you were talking about then it must not be you know that must not be right mm-hmm. that, that it's it's got to be I can have an assurance right now right there there has to be this this clicking in and so realizing it is I mean there 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 definitely is that component. Of of meeting people and t- and actually giving people the kerygma, actually proclaiming Christ right and the gospel. Um, there's I guess that the pendulum can swing in both directions. Well, it's a process, so we just kind of smile at people until they're Catholic. Okay, like, <laughs> but you know, there, so there's that happy there's the happy medium, right? It's it's you know you, you're you're okay. Here's my five minute spiel. I'm gonna just kind of cajole you into becoming, um, or there's just well I'm 
you know, I have flowers in my front yard and I smile at everybody and wave at everybody. That's my evangelization. It's like, okay, let's, let's, let's bring it. It's the both and as everybody says, let's bring it back to the center where we're doing both and kind of this symphony um, that doesn't take 30 seconds. It's going to take a little bit longer than that. So a couple of things here. One, we just now said you don't have to know what you're doing, right? That there's this sense of if we are accompanying the person, it's about that relationship we have with the person and the relationship we have with Christ uh, and not necessarily about a formula. Uh, It really shouldn't be about a formula. On the other side of that, there is an effort that that takes place. While, While you don't have to know what you're doing, there is an intentionality that we have to say, I'm going to step in and be present in this specific situation, whether it be uh, someone going through crisis or transition or someone just experiencing a need for, uh, for relationship, mm-hmm. that we intentionally step into that moment. And I think that one of the reasons that we so often go after people who look like the people who are already in the pews, and, and to this extent, let's say the reason that, that we see so many in RCIA who come from other Christian denominations uh, is because we already speak that language. It's easy, like for your your yes. uh, key pivotal player, uh, he grew up Baptist and then had an experience that brought him into the Catholic Church. He already spoke your language, and so it was easy for him to mm-hmm. reach out to you. Um, I think last week we were talking about a specific missionary who who was in another place. Oh, it was Maximilian Colby. He grew out his beard because he knew yeah. that that was a a thing of of respect in in the culture that he was going to speak to. Uh, We see this also with the Jesuit missionaries who did their best to learn the language and to learn the customs and to walk with the people. Um, And I think that that's a step that, that intimidates us. How do I walk with a group of people who don't look like me or whose language uh, either, either wholesale, I don't understand um, because it is truly a different language or whose idioms uh, I don't understand because I haven't lived in their experience. So take us through, because you've gone through the steps of learning a different language uh, and being able to communicate with other, other people who don't look like you. What are some steps, some early steps that we can take to break out of that mold of just looking for ourselves in that mirror of the other person to to drag them <laughs> into yeah. this relationship with God. Yeah. Now I think that's a, I think that's a really good point because, and, and I even feel it in myself. Like I can go after a certain audience because I'm, mm-hmm. like you said, I speak that language and I'm able to anticipate what their next move might be. And so, okay, that's, that, that, that's easy for me. Um, I, and right. As you, as you alluded to as well, I, 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 t- I uh, speak Spanish. So I'm also certified to teach Spanish. And so that's, you know, language learning is an arduous, lifelong <laughs> process. You know, somebody will ask you, are you fluent? And you say, well, what, what does that mean? Right. I mean, that's, <laughs> right. I, I don't know every single word in Spanish, but, but, but yeah, absolutely. Oh, but what does this word mean? And so, um, again, you're, you're up against that, like you were talking about that kind of a messiness, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a process and it's kind of a never ending thing. Um, but, you know, I would say the power of personal testimony. I remember when I first came, became Catholic, and this is true for a lot of converts, you're, you're ready with all the apologetical things, right? 
Um, and again, that often tends to focus on your, the group you came from, right? right? Because you know all of the things that you had to come over. Well, they're going to have to come over them too. Um, but a powerful thing that I think we, we oftentimes overlook because, well, it's not, it's not that intellectual or it's not, I don't know, it, it doesn't have all the fancy words and accoutrements is the power of your own personal testimony. And this is something that, that I think a, a lot of Christians know, but, but I think sometimes, again, we, we look at it as kind of less than, but this is something that we all can do mm-hmm. and we can do it today. Is to and but but it really is kind of a process to. I mean, there is a crafting that goes into it, but of looking back over your life, looking and seeing those flashpoints, looking at the, those conversion moments in your life, and then being able to see, oh wait, in retrospect, this is how the Lord worked in and through me, okay, and how He led me eventually to this it, it, this conversion, this this fullness in the Catholic faith, and how He's continuing to. Um, Every day I'm, I'm having to convert and, and, and recommit. Um, that is, for my money, one of the most powerful things that you can do. Mm-hmm. You say, this is what the Lord has done for me. And it doesn't, again, it doesn't take a degree. It doesn't take, you know, <laughs> it's not, that's not that process of, oh, I've got to memorize several different things. But I think we overestimate what people are looking for. Mm-hmm. We automatically project on other people arguments or ideas maybe they don't even have. And so um, I, I call it, well, actually, I think it's it's probably not coined by him, but he, he uses it a lot. Dave Ramsey, you know, the financial guru. Mm-hmm. He'll say people often get into the uh, paralysis of the analysis. So you get to thinking about it so long and so hard, you know, how is this investment going to work? And I can't do this and i got to do this and that, that you never end up doing a thing, right? I think so back I think, to... Uh, I think back to, I think it's Peter and James um, walking, maybe it's Peter and John, here in the book of Acts, they're walking Mm -hmm. into a a certain location and there is a a person calling out to them and asking for alms. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they turn to him and they say, silver and gold, we don't have. Uh, But what I have, I give to you. And that that little line right there, that's that's evangelization. What is it that you have? If If that's the story, of of Christ's working in you, even if it's not the whole long drawn out, here's my story from beginning to end, but maybe it's, here's my story last week of God's presence mm-hmm. with me. I don't have maybe the answer to your question or your problem, but what I have, I give to you and then share Christ. Yes. And then share Christ. I think, and that's exactly. And then from that, I mean, you're sharing that with folks and of course, different people react different ways, but that gives you a, a lead in into a, a basic presentation of the gospel. Um, you know, I, the, like we, like I said earlier, you know, we the pendulum can swing either way, and um, I think for too long, maybe in Catholic circles, it's been over here on the side of that falsely attributed um, quote to Saint Francis. Right, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. It's like he didn't really say that. I mean, I, I get it, right? We should be living lives that are showing forth you know, the power of the gospel and how you've been transformed, obviously so. But there, there comes a point in which we have to actually share Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and the the you know and, and take them through a little walk of salvation history. You don't have to know all the typology and how the waters of baptism foreshadowed this and da 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 da. But a basic you know a basic one two threes of um, you know sin how it entered in the world and we're fallen and we've been kind of captured and it kind of locked into this um, into and, and enslaved by sin and. And how Christ has been sent. He was born of a virgin. So walking them through that basic, how he, he died and rose again. And um, being able to do that winsomely, cooked on to your own personal testimony, I think is very powerful. Because I mean, there, there is, I mean, you, no one wants to feel like a project. Right. right? So uh, I, I can remember, um, I think, in college, since maybe it was part of my religion degree, I can't remember why, why, but I had to go and basically observe different church services. And so one of them was a four square gospel church, uh, which if you're not familiar, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a Pentecostal uh, church type church. Um, and I can remember pe- the, the people when we walked in there, really, really nice people, but almost overly nice. Like uh, coming up to you and hi hey what's your name and, and getting our names and stuff I was like oh yeah this is our names is this your first time here all good stuff they'd go back and then some more people would come back with my name already and yeah. say hey Casey and Aaron nice to meet you and you think oh this is not <laughs> what I want to do right <laughs> they're now. sharing I, notes <laughs> exactly they're sharing notes now they went over and, and got the you know the, uh, the team, right, to, to come back and get me. And so no one wants to feel, I mean, that's an extreme example, but no one wants to feel like you're their, you're, you're their little project and they're going to win you right now. Um, and I think that's the power of that personal testimony. Look and see what the Lord has done in my life. And here's what he, here's, here's that offer of what he can do for you. Well, and, and then walking alongside of people. Let's, let's talk about that for a moment as well, because in the proclamation of the charisma. Uh, it should not feel like a, a, a separate thing, right? So I'm going to tell you right, my personal right. story, and and now let me let me pull out my chart and let me show you. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna follow along. Here's well, salvation history. You know, sometimes it's just that sounds like something we would do, though. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's just saying, uh, "Here, yeah. here's my experience, and I felt Christ's presence with me," and leave it there, because yeah, then. Yeah. Be- because then what's going to happen is they're going to ask a question. Uh, right. What do you, what do you mean by Christ's presence? And I, my, my get my um, audience has heard this multiple times that first Peter three fifteen says, always be ready to have an answer for the hope that's within you. Uh, they can't ask a question. If you can't give an answer, if they don't ask a question, so go out and live a questionable <laughs> life. Um, and so there is that sense of sometimes we have to put a seed out there that may or may not be answered right now mm-hmm. um, to plant the question in a, yep. in a way that invites them into the answer. Not, yeah, not just, you know, not, not the felt board, the picture book, the, uh, the, the mm-hmm. dry erase marker. Um, but yeah. we have to be able to internalize that story and truly understand salvation history and our place in it and our, and Christ's efforts in that for us to be able to tell it as our story and not just points in, in a presentation. Yeah, exactly. And I think that kind of harkens back to what we were talking about. Um, you know, that the, the catechesis and evangelization being together and sometimes they bleed in 
of course they go together, but um, we often take an approach to that, which is very, yeah, a lot of times academic or here, here's the, here's the three point program. And it's kind of like, yeah, the point is to find your, your place within that greater story. Um, and so it's a balancing act of, yes, we need the, the catechesis. We, we, need, we need people who are formed going out to give their testimony. That doesn't mean that they know all the answers. That doesn't mean right paralysis of the analysis. We're not asking you to, this to be you know, stuck somewhere and you think, well, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. But then, but then that's the beauty of starting with your own story because no one can tell your story. You have to you have to tell your own story. Um, but that does take a little bit of work. Um, it does take you know some reflection and, and prayer with the Lord to see you know because a lot of times we go through and this is true for myself we go through things and we don't even pay attention to where God was where yeah. He was in that in that story until you sit back and you look and you go oh I see now why I went down that. <laughs> Yeah. One, I think one of the best things to do in that is to turn and say, find those moments in our lives where we say, God, where were you? And turn yeah. it from a question of, you know, shaking a fist into a question of, okay, where in that moment, where was God? And then listen, mm-hmm. and let him tell you. Yeah. I, I can think about one particular point in my story where I, I remember I was um, about to graduate undergrad and go on to postgraduate studies and I had two options. I was either going to move up or go up to the university of Kentucky to continue with Spanish, or I was thinking about Protestant seminary at um, Asbury theological seminary, which I know, you know, I do. And, uh, <laughs> and so I, I was contemplating that and I can remember a point to where I was holding, I think the application and I think one of the questions was something like, what's your, uh, well, currently what is your relationship with Christ or, or, or something? It was kind of a more personal question. And I remember feeling kind of uncomfortable answering that question um, because I was struggling with some stuff at the time and kind of having to reconcile things with myself. Um, and um, ultimately making that decision not to do that and to do the Spanish route, I thought, oh, well, there goes, there, there goes that dream. I, there, there goes that calling I thought I had. Right to be like my father to to kind of go out and to, to preach and to teach and that's just going to be dormant for I'm never going to be able to do that I'm going to, have to be a, do this other thing and okay but to see that you know knowing myself who knows I could have been I, I could have gotten to seminary and become a really arrogant person and, and you know <laughs> no 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 argument no apologetical anything could have touched me you know at that point you know the Holy Spirit knows me better so. Maybe that was him moving me over here the way I needed to go so that I'd be more receptive to the Catholic faith. But at the time, I just thought, well, that's that's it until you look back. We're talking today with Casey Phillips, who is the Director of Evangelization at the Cathedral of Christ the King in Lexington, Kentucky. Come join the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle's at outside the walls. And I would love to hear who are the players in your life? Who evangelized you into the faith? And don't go anywhere because there's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. 
And we're talking today with Casey Phillips, who is the Director of Evangelization at the Cathedral of Christ the King in Lexington, Kentucky. If you've never been and you find yourself in the area, they've got a lovely, uh, one, just lovely campus, beautiful Art Deco campus, but a lovely uh, Eucharistic Adoration Chapel, which is kind of front and center in evangelization for a couple of reasons. Uh, One, because we need to have Christ's presence with us. And if we don't uh, experience that on a, on a normal basis, or we can't quite find where Christ is uh, in our story, go sit with Christ in the Eucharist. Go spend time in adoration uh, and, and listen and meditate and hear what God would say to you there in that very intimate and close place. Um, secondly, adoration is something that you can invite anyone to. A lot of people are maybe a little bit uh, put off by coming to a Catholic mass because they don't understand what's going on. And then everyone goes forward and they're not supposed to go forward. And what am I supposed to do here? Uh, But there's something about adoration where you can say, hey, you know, I know you're going through this. Can we just go pray together? Why don't you come with me to the chapel and let's sit with Jesus and let's pray. And they're in adoration. I know multiple people who just walking into a chapel. And feeling Christ's closeness, that was enough. Um, and, and we can't discount that. Yeah, there, there are going to be some people who need to unpack a lot of things, but it's not all about the intellect. Sometimes uh, heart speaks to heart, and being there in that place is, is essential. I remember when I was in Kentucky and attending the cathedral there, there would be many a night as we were wrestling with some difficulties in our own life um, that I would just go and I would sit and I'd say, okay, what, what now? What now? Yep. So if you ever make your way there, uh, one of my kids was baptized there. If you you know want to spend some time on a road trip, stop in Cathedral of Christ the King and spend some time with Jesus there in their perpetual adoration chapel. Casey, that was a, that was a tangent. Good to see you. Glad. Thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, no problem. No, definitely not a, not a tangent. And it just reminds me, it's, it's, it's pretty neat that the church right now is calling us into this Eucharistic revival. Mm-hmm. And I was just reflecting with somebody today, another former Baptist. He said, "Revival? That's our you know, that's like that's our work. <laughs> You're taking it. <laughs> it's so perfect, you know. You know, it's, it's perfect, and that's exactly what we need. We need that that revival, that reorientation to Christ and 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 His presence front and center. So you're exactly right. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we've kind of danced around uh, that I want to maybe put our attention on fully is the requirement of the possibility of failure in evangelization. Mm. Uh, My, uh, my second kid, uh, she did not want to walk she was like maybe 15 months and she was not moving. And we're like, kid, you are able to stand up without falling perfectly. It is time. But she was so scared of falling and making a mistake that she just did not want to try and take a step. And so she would, we, we sat with her and she'd take a step and she'd cry for like five minutes and then she'd take another step and cry for another 10 minutes uh, until we finally got her to a place where she felt comfortable. Um, if there's no risk of falling mm-hmm. flat on our face because the other person rejects what we have to say, then, then there's no vulnerability. And if there's no vulnerability and intimacy with that person to a certain extent, then we're not going to be able to accompany them the way that Christ is with us and accompanies us. And so how do we get used to this idea that 
if I reach out, they may reject me and laugh in my face. And I might, I might have egg all over my face because I, I did this thing because yeah. Casey told me to. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Casey told. Yeah, exactly. I, I think there it merits, um, <laughs> reflecting on how Jesus sent the disciples out in pairs. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, <laughs> you know, he, he sent them out two by two. And I think in this, in this effort, right, of, of, of evangelization, you know, being called to a new evangelization with all that entails, um, going it alone, you know, can often, and even going with others, but going alone especially is intimidating, right? I, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't understand. So I think the importance of going, maybe physically, that is going with someone, um, starting from a point of prayer. Um, and, and as I've been reading and kind of tuning into this position, just coming across, you know, you're looking for as, as somebody taking this position, your mind automatically goes to, I need the seven steps of, of creating a, 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 a director of evangelization position from the whole cloth. Uh, of course, that's not going to be the case, but, but people time and time again have said prayer, intercessory prayer group, prayer. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes we're going to jump past that because it's not the, it's not the actionable thing. We think, you know, we, we need something different. We need to grab our hands on some kind of program or some kind of thing. And then I'm going to be able to say the right thing. And then it's always going to be perfect. Coming from that place of prayer first, right? Um, enables us, first of all, to be able to discern where the Lord wants us to go, <laughs> who he wants us to minister to and how to do it. Um, and then going along with people who have done it before, right? Um, I've been involved too, it's kind of a different style of ministry, but with St. Paul Street Evangelization. Yeah. So you talk about a little bit more vulnerable. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're you know, literally at an event or on the sidewalk, or whatever, and you're trying to engage people um, who would probably rather be left alone. Uh, to be to be honest with you, um, but you know we got to, to to recognize, especially at our we have a big Oktoberfest, right? Yep. Um, and there's really not a Catholic presence other than the cathedral standing there next to you. It's it's just a you know party, and there's the cathedral. And so we thought we're going to start that up. Very intimidating, mm-hmm. um, I, but I think it's off. It's also a, a good thing to recognize that God has given us different charisms. Right. And so that evangelization, when you hear that word, most people, oh, I couldn't do that. I couldn't. I can't. I can't. I can't. Because it's going to require me to run out in the street and grab somebody you don't know and say, hey, listen. All right. Um, there are people who can do that. Like I, I know people in my life who are so much better at it than I am, who can without making you feel like a project, without making you feel, you know, can just talk to you, talk right to your heart. And just it's like you, you knew them forever. Uh, but there are other people who, who cannot do that but who can form relationships with people um, and, and at the point of time, at the point, time when it, when it opens up and, and they can see the kind of the door open or whatever can, can bring up their relationship with Christ and, and be vulnerable with that person. But I think, you know, it starts with prayer and also going out in pairs, right. And, and going with people um, talking to the people who've done it before, you know, seeing how um, the Lord has called, different people with different charisms to express, you know, what their role is to play in evangelization and being able to discern that. Um, I think that's key because we, uh, we were, you know, as a staff, we were actually talking to somebody the other day about wanting to be more involved with evangelization with this program and kind of the breaks. I mean, the kind of breaks went on and they were like, well, we want everybody to feel welcome though. And we're like, yeah, that's not, we're not, we're not talking about beating somebody over the head. We're not talking mm-hmm. about, you know, being abrasive or obnoxious or, we don't have a, um, you know, megaphone 
Although actually we do, I have a microphone in my office, but it's not for that. It's not for that. Uh, so uh, I think I think that's where it merits us taking some time to really flesh out what evangelization means and what it can mean, and how it works in concert with our gifts that have that have been given to us by God. But starting from prayer, I think, is essential because if we just get out there and think we're going to change the world, we're going to fall and not want to get back up. There's a book I know you're familiar with, um, Forming Intentional Disciples by Sherry Waddell. Great book. Uh, There's a great community on social media that talks about evangelization in that context quite a bit. But one of the things that's present in that conversation around discipleship is that the mature disciple takes their makes their way into evangelization just by nature the the by virtue of being well formed mm-hmm. um and i think a lot of times it, it is good to tell our story at all points it is good to wherever we find ourselves on that cycle to be practicing and learning and living with the charisma but i think there's also something to be said for uh that that prayer and that time and adoration and that formation um, being a goal of ours that, yeah, we don't want to treat evangelization as if it is discipleship, but we who are disciples ought to be pursuing discipleship continually uh, because as the Holy Spirit speaks into us and we are able to receive uh, knowledge and wisdom, then those are now tools in the Holy Spirit's hands as we're, going out. So maybe it's, it's two by two, maybe it's knocking on people's doors, which is super intimidating to me personally. Maybe, maybe it's, um, spending five extra seconds in the grocery store aisle because you feel a nudge of the Holy spirit to offer a word of encouragement to Mm -hmm. a mom who might feel over otherwise overwhelmed, uh, or to the cashier who looks like they've had a rough day. Um, finding those points of connection to let you know, maybe it doesn't turn into anything, but you're giving the Holy Spirit permission uh, in that moment to make something happen. Uh, yeah. But whatever that is, that can't happen if we don't give the Holy Spirit the time of day. And yeah. that happens by being familiar with that relationship with the Holy Spirit, which comes about through discipleship. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I can think of using my wife as an example. So I've worked in Catholic schools, I've worked in Catholic. So, but she has worked, she's a nurse. And so you, you might automatically think, well, there's no, there's no way that you can talk about your faith or anything like that, you know, in a hospital, it's just, you know, foreboding or something. But I mean, at both places that she's worked and she's not even done it. It's not even been something cognizant. She walked into work. Who am I going to get today? Who am I going to tell about? <laughs> it's not, it's not that, but, but it's interesting, you know, how, like you said, you're open to the Holy spirit. What's he want to do? Um, and uh, I can think of a couple examples, but one of them was uh, most most recently, uh, I guess it had just opened up in conversation. Actually, it came because we had spent a lot of time in the NICU with our uh, littlest one. Um, and so the people that she, she and she ended up working there, she ended up applying to work there because she liked the NICU so much. So they kind of some of the nurses had kind of known us already, had seen our uh, Catholic art that we had put up in the room, you know, with little Ignatius and so they knew something about it. And so I guess they had maybe asked Aaron about it, if she's Catholic and okay. And which led to more questions, right. you're saying, that led to more questions. Oh, okay. So what do Catholics believe about this? And uh, what's this? Until at some point, she's working with a lady who 
doesn't know her well. Like she'd heard her. She doesn't really know my wife very well. And so couldn't remember her name, but she had to ask another nurse about one of my wife's babies. And she said, um, this nurse has this baby. And could you tell her what, what she needs to know? And she goes, okay, what, what's, what's the nurse? I, I don't, it's the Catholic one. And I thought, Aaron, I have to look at my wife. I said, Aaron, this is the greatest badge of honor you will ever be given. You're the Catholic one. You're the Catholic one, you know? Um, and, but the power of that and just being open to people when they, they, they will come to you <laughs> with these questions. And she, she was somewhere else and um, just organic opportunities opened up to talk about the Eucharist, you know, mm-hmm. and, and she looked at the lady and she said, buckle up. And so she told, <laughs> <laughs> she told her about the Eucharist. And she said, oh, well, that's interesting. And then over time, somebody else asked about it. And this other coworker who she had explained to it before, she said, oh, no, 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 I got this. Let me tell you what they believe. And, they, and she was able to give kind of a brief presentation of what the Eucharist is and what we believe in. So all I had to say, she didn't walk up to anyone with the five point, okay, now I've got to start and I've got to ask them, what mm-hmm. would you like a personal relationship with you? Let right. me tell you about, you know, but she was open to that. There's a podcast that I, I've recently got onto. It's been, I guess, active for a few few years through Ascension Press, um, Every Knee Shall Bow, hmm. as a Catholic evan- uh, evangelization podcast. And uh, one of the guys on there talks about every morning, he just says, you know, Holy Spirit, you know, whoever you send me today, I promise, you know, if you open the door, I will, you know, share my story with them. I will, you know, be open to what you want to do. Um, and so something as simple as that and saying, okay, whatever the circumstance is, like you said, it does, it's not always a, a five point, you know, presentation of the gospel, but, um, but he's going to give us those opportunities. We just have to be attuned, um, and be able to let him. I'm a child of the nineties, eighties and nineties. Uh, I watched, um, the television show Animaniacs. And I just kind of yeah. picture evangelization as waking up every morning and saying, uh, what are we going to do today? Holy spirit. <laughs> Same thing we do every day. Right? We're going to try to take over the world. Take over the world. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And just that it doesn't mean the same, you know, it's, it's all the, the, the end is there, right? Mm-hmm. We're all tending towards the same end. But the Holy Spirit has given us all different charisms and different and, and different means of life. It's it's one of the things, you know, people say, well, that's for the priests. That's mm-hmm. for the bishops. You know, that's for the specialists. And we're like, no, 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 no. Uh, it's, it's actually, <laughs> a lot of times, it's probably more effective when it comes from us yeah. than somebody who's in a collar, right? Well, and, um, and frankly, the, the church documents tell us that the priest is there for the sanctification of the church and the church is there. That's you and me. The church is there for the sanctification of the world. So frankly, it's exactly the opposite. It's not their job. Their job is to be there to provide us the sacraments and to, to, to give life to the church and to give instruction to the church. And as your wife says, buckle up because it's your job and my job to do the rest. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. So, I mean, and it's just, it's amazing to see. And I think that's one of the things that excited me, you know, becoming Catholic. And um, I think we're, I shouldn't say finally, uh, but we are beginning to kind of reap some of those fruits of the Second Vatican Council Mm -hmm. and a lot of those post-conciliar documents and emphases put on by, you know, different popes that we need to to focus on this new evangelization. We need to turn our focus from, um, you know, it's kind of cliche at this point, but maintenance to mission, maintenance right. to mission, right? 
We need to go out. We need to stop staying in our uh, institutions and, and waiting for people to come in because they're obviously not. For every six that come or for every one that comes in, six leave. Yeah. And so what do we do? We need to go outside the walls. Uh, It's almost like it's a radio show or something. Uh, We've been talking today with Casey Phillips. He is the director of evangelization at Christ uh, at the Cathedral of Christ the King in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, Casey, such a pleasure to have you on today. No, thank you very much, TL. It's been a great. If you missed any part of my conversation with Casey or you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. If you can't get enough, I've got good news. There's more. There's always more as we create an extra segment each week to give to those who support our show through Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air, ensure that we have the equipment we need, and, and we are so grateful for them that each week we give them a couple extra questions with a guest and a deeper dive into the topic. So to learn more about that, go to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link there in the navigation bar. A lot of the old segments are available for everyone. You can go and listen to something that you might have missed six months to a year ago. But as always, the segment is available immediately to all of our Patreon support community. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read scripture in light of church teaching by putting the magisterium at your fingertips, linking scripture to the catechism, to the fathers and doctors of the church, ecclesial documents, biblical commentaries, and so much more. You can learn more at Verbum.com. Our reading from scripture today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and sat down by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood along the shore. And he spoke to them at length in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky ground where it had little soil. It sprang up at once because the soil was not deep. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and it withered for lack of roots. Some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. But some seed fell on rich soil, and it produced fruit a hundred or sixty or thirtyfold. Whoever has ears ought to hear. That reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. And here we see a certain amount of generosity. There is a generosity in the the sowing of the seed, which he explains, Jesus explains to his apostles, is the proclamation of the Word. The seed is the Word of God, and the soils are the people who receive it. And we talked about this a little earlier. There's this need in evangelization for us to be willing to fail. Not every seed is going to hit soil in the same way, and some places aren't going to receive that seed and produce any life. Some are going to produce a little life, but it's going to be sabotaged by something internal uh, or external. And so here we see Jesus is talking about an absolute abundance, a, a, a prodigal way of of 
distributing that seed, of not being afraid of, of the failure of the seed to grow in this or that location, but to sow that seed anyway, to say, I'm going to proclaim the gospel when I think it will have a benefit and when I don't think that there's going to come anything from it. Uh, and this is something I think that's important for us because we tend to, going back to that idea of we evangelize people who look like us, we tend to think that people who share our experiences and who are like us will respond in the same way. And we tend to discount those people who don't share our experiences, thinking either they're not going to respond to the gospel or they're not going to respond to my experience of the gospel. And so we th- we think, well, I'm not even going to attempt that because that that's going to end in failure. But we are merely the ones who are casting the seed. The seed is the Word of God, the living and active Word of God, and the Holy Spirit is the one who makes it work. And so it's it's ours to do the work of pro- proclamation, but it's not ours to do the work of making the seed grow. We just have to make it available in, in abundance, in abandoned without really counting the costs because we have this endless supply, right? It's not like we're going to run out of the Bible. We're not going to run out of the Word of God anytime soon. We're not going to run out of the kerygma. And so since we have freely received that, so too freely and and with abandon, we give that as well. Our reading from Church History today comes from a recent document. This is Evangelii Gaudium. It's an apostolic exhortation from Pope Francis, and we're going to read it out of number 24. The church, which goes forth, is a community of missionary disciples who take the first step, who are involved and supportive, who bear fruit and rejoice. An evangelizing community knows that the Lord has taken the initiative. He has loved us first, and therefore we can move forward boldly to take the initiative, go out to others, seek those who have fallen away, stand at the crossroads, and welcome the outcast. Such a community has an endless desire to show mercy, the fruit of its own experience of the power of the Father's infinite mercy. Let us try a little harder to take the first step and to become involved. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. The Lord gets involved, and he involves his own as he kneels to wash their feet. He tells his disciples, you will be blessed if you do this. An evangelizing community gets involved by word and deed in people's daily lives. It bridges distances. It is willing to abase itself if necessary and to embrace human life, touching the suffering flesh of Christ in others. Evangelizers thus take on the smell of the sheep, and the sheep are willing to hear their voice. An evangelizing community is also supportive, standing by people at every step of the way, no matter how difficult or lengthy this may prove to be. It is familiar with patient expectation and apostolic endurance. Evangelization consists mostly of patience and disregard for constraints of time. Faithful to the Lord's gift, it also bears fruit. 
An evangelizing community is always concerned with fruit because the Lord wants her to be fruitful. It cares for the grain and does not grow impatient at the weeds. The sower, when he sees weeds sprouting among the grain, does not grumble or overreact. He or she finds a way to let the word take flesh in a particular situation and bears fruit of new life. However imperfect or incomplete these may appear, the disciple is ready to put his or her whole life on the line, even to accepting martyrdom and bearing witness to Jesus Christ. Yet the goal is not to make enemies, but to see God's word accepted and its capacity for liberation and renewal revealed. Finally, an evangelizing community is filled with joy. It knows how to rejoice always. It celebrates every small victory, every step forward in the work of evangelization. Evangelization with joy becomes beauty in the liturgy as part of our daily concern to spread goodness. The church evangelizes and is herself evangelized through the beauty of the liturgy, which is both a celebration of the task of evangelization and the source of her renewed self-giving. That reading comes from Evangelii Gaudium, number 24. It's an apostolic exhortation by Pope Francis. And here, there, there's so much. If you've not read the document, I really highly encourage you. Vatican.va, it's free, it's available. Go and read this beautiful document. But I want to point out a couple of things. First and foremost, this is God's work. It's God's work, and it doesn't have to be done on a specific timetable. We're there, no matter, as Pope Francis says, no matter how difficult or lengthy this may prove to be, but with patient expectation and apostolic endurance, we are present to those who are around us with a message of hope that God's enduring presence is there for them that God's enduring presence is there to bring mercy in their time of need, and that they are not alone. We have walked this road, we have experienced this, and so too we want to share that with them. And lastly, in this little bit of time we have left, we do this not to create enemies. Right? We're not. This is not a combative thing that we do. Rather, we want the goodness of God to be made manifest in our world and in their lives. So in a reiteration of that gospel call, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Lexi and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link and join their numbers. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.